everybody. Welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 140, April 2021. Our guest this month is Royal Cherie. Royal is a playwright, director, and performer. Her latest work is Lamentations and is currently produced by the Hamner Theater in Virginia. This is a riveting and powerful play about racism in the United States that will challenge everyone who sees it and hopefully instigate profound discussion and provide perspectives for deeper understanding of what our fellow humans live with every day. Probably to me, the running theme throughout Lamentations, which is whose truth is it? What book do we read? What books are we told to read? What's the information that we get and who is giving us that information? And I was especially moved by the passages about, this is my Bible. No, this is my Bible. Um, how long did it take you to come up with this? I'm assuming it, it, it's, I mean, to actually start writing, okay, the production, um, and then putting it together. And what was that like? Because it, it, I don't think it, it sounds to me like it could not have been a very easy process for you. I have been thinking about this um, for years, you know, and I have, you know, been challenged with my own um, issues of racism, you know, being hurled at me. And um, I have always been silenced. And, um, you know, and, and I was told, you know, you can't write anything like this unless you are somebody big, you know, talking about other black playwrights, you know? So um, once I became playwright, um, resident playwright for the Hamner Theater, um, she absolutely gave me the freedom, Boomy Pedersen, the artistic director, gave me the freedom to write. So um, I did, you know, some research and everything. Like I said, it actually took me years to do it. But once I sat down, it took me like four days to write it. You know, the poems were already um, in my um, computer, but it took me four days to write it, you know, and maybe, you know, a week or two to edit it and stuff like that. But I was we always, I feel, you know, the way I was raised and, you know, just in general, um, I was really nervous. I was full of trepidation because I didn't want to offend anyone or hurt anyone. And I'm taking, you know, people's feelings into consideration, even though, you know, for centuries, you know, we've been horribly treated by these people that I am trying to be sympathetic to. And I think this play, excuse me, allows me to be unapologetic about what has happened to us. So it took me a couple of days to write it, a couple of days to edit it. And, um, I think what's really, okay, so the narrator, the, the, I mean, I don't want to tell too much. If you want to share it, that's fine. But the main person 
who he goes through the history from the beginning of the world, God created man to um, the um, um, constitution. Yeah. So everything that he articulated had been articulated in some form or fashion. Um, from the Willie Lynch papers, he actually went around to different plantations on how to make a slave. Um, the Constitution and the little twists and turns um, to say that yeah, all people are free except for um, except for crime, and then people started coming up with these ways to criminalize black people. So uh, you know, every iteration of of that narrator's um, um, narrative kind of you know reflects how how pervasive racism is and has been and continues to be so yeah well i think it's it's a series of stacking the deck against against you over and over and over and, and over, over. Um, yes because i saw many instances in this piece alone you know um the guide for keeping slaves the guide for treating slaves, <laughs> right? You know, it's like a manual. And I was like, okay, uh, I'm not surprised this existed. I've never seen one, um, but it made perfect sense once I heard it delivered, all right, through your character, through the character that you wrote in there. And especially because he was in white face. And it took me a couple of seconds to think about what that meant because all of a sudden I saw him on the screen and I'm like, oh, there's a clown on the screen. That was my first thought, okay? And then I thought, no, this is completely different. Um, and all of a sudden I'm staring at something which I did not expect to see. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you were talking about not offending anybody and I don't think that's, especially when discussing this and discussing this in the open and stating facts and presenting the black case, the black side of this argument, I don't think that's going to be possible because there are just too many, as you show, the person with the whip scars, okay? Um, uh, the men and women with, with the amputations. Yes. These are... These, these are holocausts in and of themselves. And I don't think there's any way to present those without upsetting or offending. I am reminded of a saying that I've, I've found in nearly every culture. It's, it's developed on its own somehow in every, every culture on most cultures on the earth. If you're going to tell the truth, have one foot in the stirrup. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Drop the bomb and then get the hell out. Um, and this is a bomb, so we're not going anywhere. Yeah, well, that's that's the good part of this. Um, I wouldn't expect you to. What was the? Did you get? I want to mention. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. I do yeah. want to mention that um, when she says, you know, mine is from the King James. Yeah was actually the Bible that is it was a real thing and there was that guide um, that um, she Moses 
said, um, is that a, a person or a thing? It was called the um, the King James, um, let me see, excerpts from the King James Bible to um, for, for training slaves or something yeah. like that. I can, but that is actually real. It's actually real. They just omitted, they, they omitted like about 75% of the Bible mm -hmm. to keep this, to keep any uprising yeah. out of the minds of these enslaved people. So there was no mention of um, Moses. Um, I mean, so much had been omitted just to, you know, keep the slaves, the enslaved um, in line. Well, if you call something the word of God, it's pretty much theoretically inarguable. You can't argue with the word of God. And if you don't know the contents of the book, you can't argue with the book that they give you. And that has been one of the, one of the basic things that ruling classes over the thousands of years have known what kind of information do we pass on. Um, and since I was raised Catholic, raised Christian, um, the Bible is a big part of my upbringing. And I have since done some study on it and discovered a lot about its history. And there are challenges and questions but a lot of people swear by the Bible and a lot of people hold the Bible up. We, we, we use it to, to, to swear in court. Okay. So that whatever we say is going to be the God's honest truth and it's inviolable. Um, but the Bible has been used in so many thousands of different ways to enslave control. Um, the actual Genesis of the Bible was a, a compendium of apostles or writings that um that certain people in the third century decided should be in the bible so its genesis is questionable its message is sometimes questionable um how much is, of an effect has it had in your life the bible yeah okay uh, my father was a minister okay okay so i mean I wasn't exactly a preacher's kid, um, you know, even though I tried growing up all my life to hold true the edicts that, you know, were being preached, um, I, I was a little, I, I questioned some things. Um, so I did not become the religious um, orator or anything like that, but I became very, very spiritual. Um, you know, I do feel that um, I have to walk a fine line, but I think what what people um, fail to acknowledge is, is, is Newton's law, you know, for every action, there is an equal and opposite total reaction. For every left, there's a right. For every up, there's a down. So everybody always wants to blame God or put everything on God. When and 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 even the name God does not necessarily have to be. It's, 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 it, 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 you know, 
it doesn't even have to be a he, you know, God could be, you know, but as I think that people just need to believe in something, but you can't blame everything on God because people want to interpret the way it's convenient for them um, to ooze their moral senses or lack thereof. You know, well, I guess God wanted it that way. Well, no, maybe Satan wanted it that way. I mean, he was an angel of God, you know, until he got cast out and he still has, you know, tremendous power. And I think that that is what comes through in lamentations between Mrs. and um, um, Sonny or she Moses, you know, because Mrs. uses the Bible and took out all, you know, that Bible removed all inferences of freedom, of, of Satan, and they taught these these enslaved people that Bible on how to, you know, maintain slaves. Um, so it's a matter of interpretation. And if you look at Christianity today, all of these Christian folk, you know, um, they want to, you know, deify all of these people who, who whose hearts are not in the right place. Yeah. You, know, you can't be a Christian and promote hate regardless. So I think that um, I, I tried to make that come through, you know, and, you know, the play is, is replete with, you know, all these um biblical references yeah. even um 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 some proverbs african proverbs so i tried to give perspective yeah no i i, I that was one of the passages that uh, that blew me away because you've got missus on one hand using the bible for enslavement and you've got moses on the other hand saying yeah but look at these passages Okay, right. in the parts of the Bible you didn't give me. Okay, and these are passages of these are passages of hope. These are passages of freedom. You know, this this is this is a source for people like us to take to heart because there is a better world, right? Which, by the way, you didn't tell us about in the copy of the book that you gave us. What's up with that? Um, and that happens so many so many times across centuries and cultures i you know i was i was a high school teacher for a while and one of the things that struck me was the things that were left out of the history books that i was supposed to yes, teach exactly um yeah you know, like a, two paragraphs on slavery and then we're done okay a total misrepresentation of the trail of tears and we're done yes. okay yes. And I started reading history about these things, the real history, revisionist history, or whatever you want to call it, um, years later. And I became unbelievably angry at the lies that I had been fed over the years. And it was disappointing and it was horrible, but it woke me up to a lot of things that were very, very troublesome. Um, And you covered that brilliantly, just with that little three or four minute business of the debate and the look on mrs face but that she was actually being debated right 
the temerity of that slave woman to challenge her. Oh, yeah. How dare you speak to me that way? Well, I'm free. Guess what? Yeah. Lines that made me think. This is your story, children. Weep. Yes. Yeah. All right. Um, this, this, is, this is the truth. This is, this is your history that nobody else will tell you. This right. will break your heart and you know, cause your spirit to stumble. How are you going to get through this? But it also says, it is the faith that you know not yet that will carry you, not the crate. And this is a, it's a, it's a story of, 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 of hope. You know, and I think that basically one of the things that I try to do throughout the play, just like we are constantly reminded of the Eurocentric aspect of America or the world, we don't have a story, you know, and, and, you know, the European history is being repeated, like you said, in textbooks, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, all over yeah but we need to it's time for us to continue to tell our stories and we need to tell it boldly and bravely and you know when when it comes to like black lives matter it's not that anyone is saying that all lives you know don't matter or all lives matter absolutely even a dog's life matters you know but the thing is when black lives are not as respected as even a dog's life, then we have a problem. Yeah. So I wanted to um, have the, the history being told and that it continue to be told and to have hope and faith, you know? Right. And then it ends with, you know, this is the story of your people. So weep, little warriors, weep. Because they, I mean, we have been warriors for 400 years. I think the most powerful line in the entire play, and this is exactly what you were just talking about, and you just mentioned it, was we can write our own stories. Yes. We have a way of communicating our truths. It might not be the propaganda, you know, uh, onslaught that everybody else has had over the years, uh, the, Euro- the Eurocentric view, the textbook makers, whatever it happens to be. But we can write our own stories. And the words that got me were, we can. All of a sudden, it's like, we don't need permission. And getting that message out, as simple as it is, can make somebody stop and think and go, oh my gosh, you know what? I have a weapon now. I have a way of getting my truth out. I have a way of joining the conversation and changing the way people look at us. Um, I thought that was amazing. And the other line that I found was, I am America. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, considering everything that Black people have been through since they were brought here and the way they've been treated and the things that nobody bothers to tell everybody else because they're hidden in the dark, I am America. Yeah, it's true. There's much of America as anybody else, probably even more in certain cases. Exactly. And being white person you know, old white guy here, you know, um, it's, I could never understand what it's like to be a black person in America who is part of America. Who's, I mean, without that, America wouldn't exist, you know, and that's, that's one of the truths without black people. Literally built it. Yeah. Yeah. We built America. We built the white house. We built, we invented, you know, um, the enslaved were such a huge 
contribution to development of this country. You know, we built the stoplight. We invented the stoplights. We invented um, um, steam engines for the for boats, for war boats. I mean, there's so much that um, Black Americans have contributed to that no one knows anything about. Because we're not told. We're not told. When I was in school, I was taught that Crispus Attic, Chris, I'm sorry. I'm, I <laughs> Crispus Attic, yeah. Yes. I had trouble watching that as a kid myself. That's all I knew about the Revolutionary oh. War and the contribution. Yes. And and every time, you know, when they said it, because we had a pretty racially diverse, you know, elementary school. Yeah. And, you know, they would look at me, you know, Crispus Attucks was the, you know, the first person who died in the, okay. Yeah. And, and so that's all I knew, other than slaves were happy and yeah. they they would sing and dance oh. all of the time. Yeah. That's all I knew. And we were so beneficial that we were taking care of them and giving them a reason to work and a place to live. And yeah, it's and Miss And Mrs. says, why are you people so ungrateful? I know. I know. <laughs> I almost fell off my chair. It, it's just, it shouldn't shock me. But in the context of everything, I was like, oh, lady, just shut up and listen. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got, okay. I'm not going to lie. It was hard. Um, I got angry a lot of times. I got so disgusted so many times, you know, like, how can people be so cruel? And the um, the amputations that you saw were probably those who did not um, meet their weight requirement in picking cotton or, 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 turning the land or leaves, you know, they would also hobble people or amputate their leg if they tried to escape. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is just cruel, cruel. It's in, it's, I was gonna say it's inhuman, but no, it's very human, obviously, if you look at history. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 140, April of 2021. Our guest is Royal Cherie. Royal is a playwright, director, and performer. Her latest work, Lamentations, is currently produced by the Hamner Theatre in Virginia. Lamentations premiered, uh, uh, let's see, this is... Uh... This is Thursday. On the 20th. On the 20th, yes. And um, the theater is putting out, Hammer Theater is, put it up on YouTube? Is that for general, would you have to have an invite to see that? When, um, when can other people see this? That's, that's what I want to happen. Okay, so we're having um, three more iterations of it, um, each taking place on the third Saturday of every month. And um, Lamentation is actually part of a bigger project. It's part of the Newtown project, Kaleidoscope in Black and White. And the Newtown project actually there are plays centering around a 1985 explosion that happened in Newtown, Virginia, um, in a poor and black um, um, community. And the chemical plant 
um, it, it was all decided, oh, why don't we build this chemical plant around, you know, poor black people? And, you know, they kept on having leaks and people were developing these strange cancers and dying and respiratory issues. And then in 1985, it exploded and it killed, you know, four people. And it was only like 13 people that worked there. Yeah. But the thing is, no one knew about it. No, no one, no one knew about it. And um, once the, um, so the, the four widows, they actually sued. And this was before environmental justice, the term had come up. So they used the um, 1964 Civil Rights Act saying that they prohibited these people to live in a um, safe environment and they sued the state of Virginia, these environmental agencies, as well as the Greenwood chemical plant itself. And they didn't award them anything. It was just a pittance. And the amount of money that they gave them also had to go to the hospital bills and the cost of burying them. I mean, there was, it was, it was horrible. Mm -hmm. Such a justification. So that is pretty much uh, I mean, it's, it's the injustices has been happening for centuries and they consciously make decisions to continue to oppress and suppress poor and black communities. So yeah. that is the Hamner Theater um, and it's part of the Newtown Project Kaleidoscope in Black and White. Um, so there will be um, three more iterations of it. Each one is going to be a little different than the other one. Um, the you dancers, writing for these or just performing them differently? Are you kidding? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. How much do you write? I rewrite every time, every chance I get. I'm done. <laughs> My brain can't go there again. Okay. <laughs> well, now for at least another year. We'll wait until the pandemic is over. Then I'll think maybe something else will come up. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So there's going to be four more, uh, three more performances. Yes, the third Saturday. Okay. I'll need all that information so I can put it up on the website. So when people uh, come and, and see the uh, uh, listen to the interview, they'll have the information to go there. Okay. Um, I want everybody to see this. I really do. I mean, I could talk about this for another two days. And in fact, I will talk about it for a little bit, for a little while longer, because one of the things that got me that I enjoyed was the dance pieces you put in there, the, the interludes of physical movement, especially because you and another African-American uh, performer were wearing white face masks. No, and, not and, me. That was Yolanda Lewis and okay. Monty. Okay. okay. I apologize. Um, no, that's okay. But, but still, it was, and the dance was one of these, I'm, I'm going to say it was one of these high culture kind of, you have to learn how to do this sort of thing. What did it take to actually rehearse that and put it in? You know, like I said, I knew what I wanted to be presented. I knew that there was going to be dance. I knew that there was going to be music. I knew there was going to be drumming, which was, you know, I did the drumming um, myself. Um, and um, with um, another friend, um, Brian Mesco. But um, I, I thought it was important to reflect um, the dichotomy, the juxtaposition of the proper tea time and 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 just how Miss was saying, and what a lovely time it was, you know, so much 
joy and dancing and laughter. And it was done to Dixie. Yeah. And I thought that that was really, really important. It was very critical. And then the next thing you know, you have the African dancing. One was on the middle passage, um, which was, you know, 57,000 voyages yeah. Um, yeah. to travel all the way to Africa, kidnap these people and then bring them here. So I wanted to show that contrast, that social contrast. Yeah, they had a great life at our expense. So that was very important for me to reflect that. The interpretation was challenging. I love dance pieces when they're inserted into normal you know, works of art because all of a sudden this is a, this is a way of saying something you can't really say as well right. with words. Having this come in through your eyes and go straight to your brain with is, makes you think in a different way. And in some ways I thought, well, the dance is well rehearsed. And then I thought, no, I can't watch this. It was making me very uncomfortable. And I thought, yeah, well, of course, dummy, that's the point. You know, and I try to, um, everything I write, I try to make it as visceral as I possibly can. If there was such thing as um, scratch and sniff, I'm sure I would have included that in the stage notes as well. Um, <laughs> but, I can't wait till your next play then. <laughs> oh, watch out, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah, the dance, the music, um, the, uh, the opposing view sides of society mm -hmm. um, and the relevance that 1865 and 2021. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you do, you do a lot with um, opposing viewpoints in this, just juxtaposing them one up against the other. And it's a brilliant way of, of getting a message across because it causes confusion in the mind. And then it's like the mind has to work this out. And once the mind realizes where it's going, it's like, oh, enlightenment. And oh, I'm uncomfortable. And yeah, but you should know this. I would like to move on to one other aspect uh, that I found when I was doing my research on you, and that is caregiving. You wrote The Caregiver, Disturbing Images of Your Future, which you co-wrote and co-produced with Phil Spinner. Please, let's uh, can, can you talk a little bit about what brought you to that and how you explored that issue and, and how you came up with this project? Okay, so in 2000, I came here to um, take care of my father. Things were financially challenging and, you know, being an adult woman taking care of an adult father, we were, they wanted us to live on $12 a month, right? After they took out everything. And I was not being acknowledged as a woman, as an adult and as a caregiver. I myself knew that I was saving the state a million dollars a year by keeping my father at home. And most people, most seniors wanna stay home. So um, I, I'm, I'm like, okay, we, I, I can't keep living like this. It was, uh, my nerves were fried. Caregiver burnout was beginning to set in. This was only my second year. So I'm like, okay, I gotta, go around and, and see where is this, you know, where can I get help? And a legislative assistant told me, well, why should the state do what family is supposed to do anyway? 
That's all I needed to hear. Yeah. It, it literally yeah. took me one hour sitting in my bathroom while the um, filmmaker and co-producer was waiting on me. I sat on the edge of the toilet and wrote for one hour the entire documentary. And um, I did the B-roll, but it was, uh, and I went around to all of these appropriation committee um, hearings um, all over the state, sometimes with my disabled father in tow. And they finally appropriated funds for caregivers and it's still in effect today. So the documentary, in order to come to this conclusion, it was actually given and shared between 42 members of committees and subcommittees of the Virginia state government. And I was working with the Virginia um, um, Poverty Law Center. So I'm, I'm really proud of that accomplishment. That's a, that's a huge accomplishment. Getting anything done politically, socially, takes thousands of hours of work and many, many, many people to do it. And you need people to listen to you and you need people to work your concerns into their schedule. I, I can't even begin to imagine the amount of work you must have put in for this. I would love to, uh, to see this project. I'm sure I have the documentary around here somewhere. Yeah. Where can we, is it, is it, no, no. I mean, I didn't know anything about all I knew. I was just so focused on, you know, my immediate needs as well as the needs of other caregivers in the state, because we're saving the state millions upon yeah. millions yeah, of yeah. dollars. So I wasn't focused on on anything. And I know that some members of the of the state probably thought I was running for a political office, which I was not. So when I gave a public showing of the documentary, I found out later on there were actually a couple people from the state uh, that was there to see what I was up to. So, but things, you don't happen until it becomes personal. Which is, not an indictment of anybody's lack of doing something for somebody else. It's just a question that right now our lives are so challenging between working three jobs for minimum wage and trying to keep, you know, house over our head and, and, and children fed and yes. clothes on everybody's backs. We are preoccupied with basic survival. This is not the America of two cars in every garage and a chicken in every pot. This is, we're going to eat today. You know, and I would like to see them try to live on what they propose that we live on. Let oh, them, I'd love that, yeah. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? Let them do it for a year. Yeah. They would not survive. Let them do it for three months, because you know what? They'd be crying like babies after the first week. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you, you, you put people on deprivation and their attitudes change. Quickly. Oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. This sounds like something, I mean, if you thought about, would this be something you put up on YouTube so people could go find it and take a look at it? What, the documentary? Yeah. I it's don't like know. Something, like I said, people should see, you know? I mean, because right now, I'm in a place where families don't separate the way they do in the United States. My kids grow up, they go to college, they go around the world, they go across the country. Here, people stay because family means something. Family is really what family is supposed to mean in other places where we stay together, we take care of each other. And when family members get to be seniors and they start to be infirm and body parts start malfunctioning and falling off and gosh knows what happens after you turn, you know, 52. 
Thanks, George. Yes. Remind me. Yeah, I know. Every time I look in the mirror, I go, where did this old guy come from? We're not trained to take care of, we're not capable of taking care of a parent who's starting to get dementia, who can't control the, you know, their, their, their bodily functions anymore. And it becomes a full-time job, the way raising a baby is a full-time job. But here, people, families stick together. And what that politician said was, you know, this is what you should be doing as a family. You should be taking care of them, was one of the most callous things I've heard. It was so callous. It was just, um, yeah, just, you know, man up and take responsibility. Excuse me. And the difference between taking care of a parent and taking care of a child, the child eventually outgrows some of those um, um, needs. You know, they can, you know, they can pull up their own underwear. They can go to the bathroom, but taking care of an elder, an elderly person is 24 seven. And I don't think they took that in consideration. So they tried to tell me, well, now, why don't you go out and get a job and we can bring somebody in? No, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. I don't want a stranger in my home and nobody knows my father the way I know my father. And I've had other help to come in and they would steal from me. One lady actually took the liberty to put her cigarettes out in my bathroom sink and dared me to say anything. They have total power and control over us vulnerable, vulnerable yeah. people, and they exploit it. Uh, the system needs so much work, <laughs> especially when it comes to taking care of the people who were taking care of us. Exactly. I mean, it's If it's not profitable, we don't care about it. We need to change our system of values as humans, not just as Americans, but as humans. Humans. And that's what, isn't that what um, she, Moses said? Human. Yeah. You know, we, we are human beings, you know, and we have challenges that once again, sorry about the, I'm outside. Yeah, no worries. Life is life. The way children are being treated, the way the, the mentally challenged are being treated, the way blacks are being treated, the way women are being treated. Yeah, it's a sense of humanity that really needs to be restored and maybe not restored, but we, we need to change the ingredient of whatever it was that we used in the past and, and bake a whole different loaf of bread or something, you know? I, I was toying with the with the idea of writing something about a play set in the future, of course, where in addition to the usual school subjects, the, the mandatory subject of compassion is taught. And you know, you would have homework, you would have studies, you would have all these different exercises to open up your eyes and your hearts to the conditions of people around you and who they are and what they feel. And instead of it being such an egocentric society. We are taught, we are trained to keep an eye out for each other. I think that's the one thing that's missing is compassion. You know, we see other people every single day and we pay attention to less than 1% of them. And I think that's, you know, we've lost the ability to operate as a village. We've lost the ability to operate as a family. We've lost the ability to be aware of things other than ourselves. That was one of the greatest challenges that I faced once my father transitioned because I was literally in a cave for seven and a half years. 
I not only had to experience him, experience his slow death, I also had to experience my own. So once he passed and, you know, I, it, it took me about a year, you know, to catch my breath and <clears throat> I'm, I'm ready to go out in the world. The energy was so static social mores had changed, language had changed, music had changed, clothing had changed, everything had changed, you know, because we didn't, like you said, the village, the, I was the village and didn't know it, life went on and no one told me, you know, um, and no one came to help, that's the thing. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's this area that I'm in. But as I continue to watch the news, uh, talk shows, et cetera, et cetera, okay, this is not just a, a local issue, you know, it's not even regional, but it's geographic in nature. It's, it's yeah. 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 So, yeah, I think if we, I think that you're onto something there, George. As a matter of fact, I just need the rest of the world to listen to me. <laughs> From my lips to God's ears. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sheree, yeah, this we, has been you know, a we, wonderful conversation. I'm so glad you took the time to come talk thank to you. us. Please tell my audience how they can find you if they want to find out more about your work and about you, more about you as a theorist. I do have a website, Royal Sheree, R-O-Y-A-L-S-H-I-R-E-E.com. It's in such dire need of updating. Um, but you can get enough sense of who I am. And also they can follow the Hamner Theater on Facebook and on YouTube. They can subscribe to the Hamner, that's H-J-M-N-E-R Theater. And you'll find a lot more about what's going on and um, you know, catch up on what I'm doing as well. That's wonderful. Yes, everybody, please go there now and tune in. Let's find out about uh, uh, the other iterations. For uh, We can find that through Hammer Theater. Uh, the yes. other remaining three iterations of um, Lamentations, which I urge you all to go see. It's a truly remarkable production. So thank you once again. Thank you. Thank you, George. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage Off Stage. On Stage Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater we haven't covered yet, or know someone in the theater who would make really good chat, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender. On Stage, Off Stage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening, and please, kids, stay safe. Be careful for yourself and for those with whom we share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you.